0: we can all listen to the sunny side of sports
1: great show bro this is sunny side of sports right here on the voice of america voice of america sporty greetings to all our voice of america listeners this is voa sunny young in washington welcome to the july 5th edition of the sunny side of sports the world athletics championships begin july 15th in the northwest u.s city of eugene oregon now this marks the first time the championships have been held in the usa and you might say they'll be taking place in prince nesta's backyard that's right prince is currently based at the university of oregon And the World Championships will feature at the university's Hayward Field. For a preview of the World Athletics Championships, Prince spoke
0: with a photojournalist who's based in Eugene. My name is Chris Peach. I'm the director of photography for the Register Guard. Uh, That's the newspaper here in Eugene, Oregon. I've been here for about 34 years now. I oversee uh, interactions with reporters and other photographers. Kind of a coach, mentor, I think, uh, for you know, lack of a better description. Uh, so I'm out shooting, but I'm also um, providing advice and wrangling assignments and that kind of thing for um the staff in general for both salem and uh, eugene it's kind of a you know lots of different hats uh but primarily a photographer i've been following your work uh you know
2: you share some of your stuff on facebook and really great stuff coming off of you
0: thank you that's uh it's nice to hear uh you know it's a labor of love you know i don't really look at photography as work exactly although yeah. You know, track and field can be somewhat grueling. you know, in terms of the time commitment, and you know, sometimes the elements aren't always yeah. that uh, conducive to having a good time, but uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, track and field is uh, such an exciting sport here in Eugene, it's easy to get caught up in all that uh, excitement. So,
2: what's behind you know, Eugene, Oregon being referred to as Trunk Town USA?
0: I kind of got uh, schooled in that a little bit myself. I worked for a newspaper in uh, North Idaho before, and baseball was the big sport in that town and so I joke that I went from shooting baseball pretty much maybe nine months of the year and now I rarely shoot a baseball game but I shoot track it seems like for at least six uh, months of the year and Eugene is very unique in that regard that there's uh, not only are there some really great premier events but the fans are very knowledgeable and really appreciate the athletes when they come. And so I have not seen anything like it in my travels with that level of uh, excitement, kind of the athletes and the fans feeding off each other really during an event. It's really something cool to see. And we've had a lot of that this year. seems like we've had a track meet every weekend since uh, sometime in (laughs) April. So uh yeah, it's pretty exciting.
2: I always remember when I first came to the United States because right now I go to school at the University of Oregon. And the first thing I was told when I was looking at the states and asking, oh, so what's popular about this state? And uh, I was told about the Idaho potato. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you missed that a lot. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's like it's uh, right on the license plate famous potatoes. Oh. So, and uh, yeah, if you drive. Uh, east of uh, Boise, you run into the Potato Museum along the side of the road with a giant potato. So, uh, you know, if you drive through that area, you definitely want to check that out. I grew up in North Idaho, and uh, all the potato farming is in the south, though. So I'm, mm-hmm. I I don't know what a good analogy would be. It's like, you know, up in North Idaho, we're famous more for you know, yeah. tourism and, yeah. you know, our beautiful lake and yeah. not many potatoes. We have <laughs> to buy our t- potatoes from southern oh. Idaho. But Idaho is such... is. Uh, even more uh, extreme in terms of its geography than uh, Oregon because you drive north-south and you go through these huge mountain ranges and the Rocky Mountains are there. Yeah just uh shockingly beautiful but it's not easy to get around though with here you can you're an hour away from the coast coast. and an hour away from the mountains and it's like in idaho it's more like five hours away from all those things so you have to work a little harder for it but yeah and just to make you
2: laugh also as far as idaho is concerned one other thing is i come from kenya and there's a tribe called idaho written the same way so when i came here i was like Idaho, and then so that's Idaho. I was like, "Well, that's interesting." Yeah, that is interesting
0: because I think, I don't know what the actual origins of the word Idaho is. I doubt it's Kenyan, but who knows?
2: Native American, (laughs) maybe Native American. Yeah, I think most of
0: the pioneers. It's some. uh, misunderstanding with the natives that they thought they were saying something and then it gets, it becomes part of the vernacular, you know? Yeah. So I've pretty much grown up in the Pacific Northwest my entire life. You know, I've traveled a little bit as an adult, but, yeah. um, you know, I've never been to Kenya. So I yeah. look forward to that. And if I do, I'll definitely want to go look, uh, of Idaho, or do you pronounce Idaho, it? Idaho, yeah, Idaho. Yeah. Yeah, Instead of I, it's I, E. I, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I may share that story. That's a good one. Yeah, Look yeah. it up on Google Maps. For like, sure. For sure.
2: <laughs> Last weekend, athletics trials were also ongoing at that particular time. And what was the atmosphere of the mood like?
0: Well, um, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of holding off waiting for the world's, the, uh, the number of people and, you know, coming off the pandemic, you know, there's been a lot of things that have kind of kept uh, the fan numbers down a little bit, but uh, for the NC2A and for the USA track and field, we started to see people coming out uh, in larger numbers. And like I say, it's just really exciting uh, that when the runners are coming around on turn uh four and heading for the final stretch you can just hear that rumble off in the distance you know as people start to cheer them on particularly if there's a close race going on and the guys are really digging down to on that final stretch and so it's hard not to have the hair kind of rise up on the back of your neck in excitement you know as they come down and and uh, across the finish line.
2: Um, You know, there are a couple of records that were broken in that particular event. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, McLaughlin in the uh, 400 hurdles was one of the most impressive to me. Uh, I read somewhere that her time in the 400 hurdles would have been fast enough for her to have qualified for the finals in the regular 400. So without any obstacles to go over that other group, she was still in the top eight of that group as well and so you know she's just a phenomenon on a lot of levels so yeah i think that was a world record that happened there and then uh, brian krauser in the shot put he had like three or four throws during the competition that were all if not new records they were like you know new meat records and so when it's hard not to get really super excited <laughs> for fans and yeah. for photographers when that kind of uh, performances are happening right in front of your eyes. So
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And you really did a great job, you know, capturing the event. I tried to read through and at least gather some knowledge since I'm from Kenya myself. And, you know, I also want to see who's going to cause a, lo- a little bit of trouble for, you know, the Kenyan athletes <laughs> or Ethiopian <laughs> athletes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, let's, you know, I uh, started my career as and like I say in North Idaho but I covered uh Washington state and they always had some african runners particularly in the distances that were all uh really uh, phenomenal and so uh I remember one uh particular event where there was like this guy from utah that was like a uh mormon and so he was a little bit older he'd been on his two year mission and so he came back to college and was running in the distance races, and most of the Kenyans that were running against him were uh, similarly aged, you know, they were a little late, you know, coming to the United States, and all very mature runners. And. He said he was a little intimidating because they were all talking to each other in their native languages. They were going around the track and he was kind of felt like maybe he was getting set up a little bit. But, uh, you know, to me, that's one of the cool things about uh, track and field is particularly what we're going to see now is we've got so many cultures and so many great traditions of athleticism from all those countries and we're just going to like throw them all together on a track in Hayward Field and see what happens. Absolutely. there is
2: some connection because the World Athletics Championship is going to be held here in Eugene, Oregon for the first time actually in the American soil. And um, before we actually arrive to what's going to happen very soon, basically we have to back up a little bit the history of Eugene as far as athletics is concerned. Uh, Steve Prefontaine is someone who's well revered here in the United States and even here in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this, basically, and the connection it has with athletics?
0: Yeah, um, I have to admit that I was in high school when Prefontaine passed away, uh, so, you know, a lot of this is second-hand. I was uh, a miler and a two-miler in high school, and I remember being aware of the phenomenon there and kind of getting caught up with that as well. But most of the stories I have to tell are, you know, second-hand, but... You know, he was one of the first athletes that came on the scene who was, he was born in Oregon. So people had seen him run in high school. He ends up going to the University of Oregon to run, breaks a bunch of records. You know, it was definitely on the map nationally, uh, if not internationally, by the time he finally, um, you know, graduated from college. And so then that was right at the point when um, athletes were struggling to try to make a living as athletes and there was pretty strict amateur status and he fought mightily to uh have athletes have a little more control over their own uh business persona out there and to be able to make enough money that they could be actually full-time athletes and really concentrate on their sport you know and he, he had to be a bartender part-time and you know i think he lived in a airstream you know because because of the economic impacts of, you know, being a sports athlete at the time. And so, you know, there's a lot about him that's, you know, the culture that was changing in the 70s around track and field was pretty remarkable. And he was definitely a player in all that. So, you know, and then, of course, he I think when he passed away, he had every American record. Uh, So, you know, he definitely went out on the height at the height of his career. But then also he got involved with uh, his coach at the time, Bill Bowerman, was the inspiration behind the Nike shoe phenomenon. You know, at the time, he was just making shoes for his athletes and using knowledge that he gained from watching their competitions and playing around with his shoe designs or whatever that eventually became Nike. And you know, Pre was involved in that to the point where I think, as part of his money making strategy, he was running around selling boxes of shoes out of his car. So, you know, the the history of uh, Eugene and track and field, it's hard not to talk about Bill Bowerman, yeah. you know, uh, Pre Fontaine, and um, you know, there's obviously some other athletes as well. And it really evolved to the to the point where Hayward Field became kind of hollowed ground for a lot of. Uh, Fan buffs that there was so much happened on the track over the span of you know decades. I was just doing some curating some photographs for our coverage leading up to the worlds and i um I realized that we we were talking about a century. Hayward Field got built in 1919 as a football stadium, but within two years, they put a track around it. So almost exactly a century, there's been track at Hayward Field Wow! uh, with it really coming into its own in the 60s. There was probably a dozen men that ran under four-minute miles back before they went metric with that. And, uh, you know, it's just a who's who of track and field, really.
1: That's Chris Peach, the director of photography for the Register Guard newspaper in Eugene, Oregon. And Chris spoke with Prince Nesta in Eugene. And we'll hear more of their conversation later this week. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to The Sunny Side of Sports on The Voice of America. Follow The Sunny Side of Sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sonny Sports. Also, please note we've moved our programs to voAafrica.com. There you'll find your favorite VOA TV and radio shows, including the sunny side of sports and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. Kenya has been a powerhouse in world athletics for decades, and the country looks ready to win more medals at the World Championships in Eugene. Now, the Kenyans had five gold medal winners at the 2019 World Championships in Doha. And all five will return for the competition in Eugene. They are Ruth Chepengedich in the women's marathon, Beatrice Chepkowicz in the women's steeplechase, Helen O'Beary in the women's 5,000 meters, Timothy Chariot in the men's 1,500 meters, and Consensless Capruto in the men's steeplechase. Also on Team Kenya for Eugene are Paris Jepcherchir, the reigning Olympic champion in the women's marathon. Faith Kipyagan, the reigning Olympic champion in the women's 1500 meters. And Emmanuel Career, the reigning Olympic champion in the men's 800 meters. Helen O'Beary has been selected for both the 5,000-meter and 10,000-meter races, and double national champion Mary Mora has been included over both 400 meters and 800 meters. Team Kenya certainly loaded for Eugene. And let's not forget Kenya's African champion in the men's 100 meters. Hi, guys. I'm Ferdinand Omanyala, the fastest man in Africa, African
2: 100 meter record holder. And now you're listening to Sunny Side of Sports on The Voice of America.
3: On our special edition of Straight Talk Africa, South Sudan commemorates 11 years of independence. Has the promise of a new dawn for Africa's youngest nation been realized? We'll bring you in-depth analysis and reporting from the South Sudanese capital, Juba, as we discuss South Sudan, the road to democracy, on the next Straight Talk Africa, this Wednesday at 18.30 UTC.
1: A South Sudanese athlete who now lives and trains in Kenya is a member of an athlete refugee team for the World Championships in Eugene. In this encore, sunny side of sports presentation, VOA's Gwen Uten tells us more. In
4: 2016, track runner Angelina Nadai Lohalith made her Olympic debut as one of 10 athletes to compete at the Rio Games in the first ever Olympic refugee team. Then in 2021, Lohalith competed in the Games for a second time in Tokyo, where she achieved a milestone in the 15th Just days before last year's opening ceremony, Lohali told Reuters News she had a dream of seeing the world, but wasn't sure how she would achieve it until she became an Olympian.
5: I used to tell myself that one day, one time, I will travel with the aeroplane in various places, but I never knew that what will make me to travel. I never, I just know that one day, one time, I'm going to travel. But now it happened in 2016 that I traveled to Brazil and competed in International Olympic. Then I realized that, oh, I have a talent that can take me far. For me, it was really, really, I was really, really happy for it.
4: Lohalith was preparing to travel again, this time to Tokyo, as one of five refugees originally from South Sudan who competed in Rio. But then the pandemic hit, forcing her to leave her training camp for a refugee camp in Kakuma in northeast Kenya. Lohalith had previously lived at the camp after she escaped South Sudan's civil war in 2002. And she says putting her Olympic dreams on hold last year and Returning to Kakuma took a mental and physical toll.
5: The time when it when when COVID-19 break, we went home to refugee camps almost now a year. So the, our good shape that we were, it went down. So by that time, you know, now being in the refugee camp, it's something most of the time it is challenging. It is not like a kind of a good place that you can train with. First of all, it was because of the weather. And then the place is not sometimes it's not safe for training. But then we never lose hope. I never lose hope because I know there's something ahead of me. It does not something that happened to me. Only it happened to the world.
4: The delayed games caused a disruption in Lohalith's training and to get back into competitive shape, she trained for one hour on the track in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. And she leaned on her natural talent for running that was discovered in high school. A teacher encouraged Lohalith to take part in a race that was founded by Kenyan long distance runner, Tegla Larupe. LaRupe is a former marathon world record holder and currently chief of mission for the IOC's Olympic refugee team. And ahead of the Tokyo game, she expressed pride at seeing her team of athletes on the Olympic stage. It is a teamwork to see that uh, uh,
5: kids with uh, displaced background have the right to compete like any other. So today our athletes, are athletes, not like when they went to Rio, now they are competing because of time.
4: LaRupe was also on her way to Tokyo, but she tested positive for COVID just days before the start of the Games and did not travel to Japan. However, Angelina Lohalith was in Tokyo, where she clocked a faster time than she ran at the Rio Games. In 2016, she finished the 1500 meters with a time of four minutes and 33 seconds. And in Tokyo, she ran a personal best of four minutes 31 seconds to finish in 14th place. Up next, Lohalith will appear at the world championships. She'll lead the women of the six-member athlete refugee team that includes runner Atalena Napule Gaspore, another South Sudanese athlete who trained with Tegla Lurupe. Gaspore will make her athlete refugee team debut in the 800 meters. Runners will take their mark when the 2022 World Athletics Championships begin on July 15th in the northwest U.S. city of Eugene, Oregon.
1: Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uten.
4: I'm Kendra Harrison. I'm the 100-Hurdle World Record Holder for Team USA, and you're listening to The Sunny Side of Sports on The Voice of America.
2: VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip live, bonga flavor to succoose, afrobeat to Ndombolo and makosa to Queto. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905
1: and 2005 UTC, right after the international news. Thanks, David. That's David Vandy, the host of the VOA's African Beat music show. On the African Women's Football Beat, it's day four of the Africa Women's Cup of Nations tournament in Morocco. Burkina Faso is playing Senegal in Tuesday's opening match, and that will be followed by a game between Uganda and host Morocco. Both matches will be played in Rabat. The Moroccans and the Senegalese are off to good starts in the African women's football showpiece. Morocco beat Burkina Faso 1-0 in its opening Group A match. And Senegal defeated Uganda 2-0. In Group C results Monday, South Africa beat defending champion Nigeria 2-1 and Botswana beat Burundi 4-2. South Africa's head coach, Desiree Ellis, says the victory over the Nigerian women gives her team a lot of momentum and a boost for the remainder of the tournament. Jermaine Sayoposenwe and Hilda Magaya gave the South African ladies a boost and a lot of momentum with goals in the 61st and 63rd minutes. Rashidat Ajibade got a late consolation goal. For the Super Falcons of Nigeria in Group B on Sunday, Cameroon and Zambia played to a scoreless draw. For reaction, Iron Mike Mbonye spoke with the Vice President of the Sports Writers Association of Nigeria, Southeast Zone Chigozie Chukwuleta.
3: To me, the the match was a story gone wrong for Cameroon, who came into the match to to rewrite. History that uh, took place two years ago when uh, Zambia denied them Tokyo Olympics uh, tickets. You know, b- before the match, uh, the captain Gabriel said that um, the mistakes they made in their last match, the last confrontation with Zambia, will not be repeated. That they have different mindsets, they have another approach to the game, that the team has changed with new players, with breathtaking qualities that they have joined the team and all that. But you can see that every move towards the realization of that dream was uh, effectively uh, frustrated. Uh, Despite over 65% ball position advantage, Cameroon instead made a harvest of uh, lost uh, opportunities. When you look at the the play pattern of the the Zambians, they, they, they showed that they are not unfamiliar with the playing pattern of, uh, of the Cameroonians. And uh, the truth of the matter is that um, they were able to, to read the, the, the Cameroonians effectively and matched them move for move. And again, uh, uh, the, the Cameroonians, uh, I don't know, I, I, I really don't know what happened to the, to the very beautiful attacking uh, system that they had, that, that some of their moves they could not actually convert them. If you look at what happened in the first few minutes of the game, and uh, again in the 27th minute, and again in the 63rd minute, I mean, it, those chances were, were hard to come by, and yet they were not able to make due, you know, make it, make it right for themselves. It's quite unfortunate for the Cameroonians and and a good story for the Zambians. Because this is exactly what they wanted a draw not to lose their very first game in the afghan championship
2: in the past zambia will be no match to cameroon what do you think is responsible for the outcome of the game they played i think what is responsible for this uh, good outcome for
3: zambia is uh, hard work i think they worked hard they prepared very well for this match and then um, you know, it goes further to confirm the fact that African football, female football in Africa has changed. It's no longer a story as usual. For you to stay atop now, you really have to work extra hard. And I think um, I give it to Zambia for coming out uh, the way they did. Then I, I think uh, Cameroon, it's not as if they were not good too, but they came in with a, a mindset of... Uh, probably to avenge something that happened two years ago, but uh, they could not uh, actually realize uh, that uh, huge dream. Female football in Africa has changed. It needs extra hard work. The level of development has actually changed. Most countries are looking out. The game is going feminine, you know? You know, the, the fun is going feminine if you look at it, so it is no longer, you know, coming out and uh, recording huge scoreline against uh, small teams. And there is no, no, there is no small teams again in female football in Africa. It's a very good thing for the game.
2: What's your take on the status of African women football today?
3: The, the face of uh, female football in Africa is changing rapidly. The narrative has changed. A lot of big names are losing grip, while the presumed minors are climbing the ladder steadily. Before now, the question would not be whether the the big teams will win, but rather the margin of victory. But that has changed. There is a new narrative, and is a good indication of better days ahead. You you have a expressions of a good technical knowledge and interpretations of same in the field of play with a show of uh, African strength. Countries also are showing commitments through developmental policies. I believe the status of uh, female football in Africa is such that uh, in no distant time we begin to make very strong statements. In Women's World Cup not just at the youth level, but at the main stage, we are we are making steady progress, and that is good for the for the continent.
1: That's Chigozie Chukwuleta, the vice president of the Sports Writers Association of Nigeria Southeast Zone, and she spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Oka, Nigeria. Sporty greetings.
3: This is Chigo Zie Chukuleta, Vice President, Sports Writers Association of Nigeria, Southeast. You are listening to The Sunny Side of Sports on The Voice of America.
1: And that wraps up the July 5th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm POA Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports. I get it.